When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In this episode of Trekking Through Compliance, we take up all our yesterdays. Compliance, the final frontier. Tom Fox is the voyager of Trekking Through Compliance. His mission, to explore the original series and seek out and share what it can teach you about compliance. Here's your host, Tom Fox. In this episode of Trekking Through Compliance, we consider the episode All Our Yesterdays, which aired on March 14, 1969, and occurred on Stardate 5943.7. Story synopsis. On this mission to evacuate the population of a lone planet, Serpedon, before its sun goes supernova, Spock, Kirk, and McCoy beam down to investigate why sensors indicate no humanoid life is on the planet. They discover, however, a library staffed by Mr. Ataz and his clones, which contain history tapes. Kirk offers to evacuate Ataz, but he tells him them to hurry up and pick, up a, pick a destination and that he himself plans to join his wife and family before the supernova comes. It appears that by inserting the record tapes into a machine called the Atavacron, people can be sent back in time. Mr. Atos confirms Kirk's suspicions that this is indeed what has happened to the inhabitants of the planet. While viewing a tape, Kirk hears screams and accidentally sends himself to a period of time of witch hunts. McCoy and Spock rush in after him, but they are transported themselves 5,000 years in the past when the planet was still in an ice age. Meanwhile, Kirk has rescued a woman from being poked with a sword by challenging her attacker to a sword fight. Only after chasing the man away does Kirk discover that the woman was a thief attempting to rob the gentleman, and furthermore, there is no entrance back to the library. Kirk goes to the wall from which he emerged and is able to talk to McCoy and Spock, but cannot get to them. Kirk is then arrested by authorities for aiding a thief, and Kirk and Spock and McCoy ask him what is going on. The authorities also hear these voices. The woman betrays Kirk and denounces him as a witch and claims that he and the spirits made her steal against her will. Spock and Bones, on the verge of freezing, are discovered by a sheltered woman known as Zarabeth. She has been exiled because her kinsman tried to assassinate the head of the planet, Zorkon the Tyrant. Meanwhile, in prison... Kirk is questioned by the prosecutor. When Kirk mentions the library, the prosecutor becomes extremely uncomfortable. At first, he tries to maintain that Kirk might be innocent. But when the guard insists he heard the voices talking to Kirk, he is forced to back off. When Kirk starts repeating the word library to the prosecutor, he gets flustered and rushes out, saying he wants nothing to do with Kirk. Back in the Ice Age, Zarabeth tells Spock that the Atavacron alters cell structure and that she cannot return to the future. Meanwhile, Kirk escapes from his cell and grabs the guard who tried to pour soup into his bowl and knocks the guard out. 
When the prosecutor comes to take Kirk to the Inquisition, Kirk realizes he is also sent from the future and threatens to denounce him as a witch if he does not help Kirk. The prosecutor informs Kirk that the Atavacron alters cell structure and brain patterns to prepare people for the past. The prosecutor has been prepared and cannot return. But Kirk can survive a few hours, only a few hours, in the time that he's sent to and must return. Kirk then finds his way back to the brick wall from which he emerges and steps back into the library. Mr. Ataz insists that Kirk be prepared, and Kirk is forced to lock one copy of him in a closet and knock another out. The real Mr. Ataz then arrives and zaps Kirk, knocking him out. Back in the Ice Age, Spock's personality is slipping to that of a barbaric Vulcan of 5,000 years in the past. He falls in love with Zarabeth and believes when she tells him that he cannot go back. McCoy notices the change in Spock and guesses that Zarabeth is not being completely truthful in order to keep Spock with her. Spock begins to notice that he is not himself when he eats animal flesh and enjoys it. No vegan there. However, this knowledge does not stop him from telling Zarabeth that she is beautiful than making love to her. When kissing her, he also cracks one of his very rare Mr. Spock smiles. Meanwhile, Kirk has managed to recover enough to avoid having Mr. Ataz wheel him on to the Atravacron. He overpowers Ataz and forces him to help locate Spock and McCoy by trying various discs. McCoy has somehow figured out that it is only Zarabeth who cannot return and confronts Spock with this fact, as well as the fact that he has reverted to the mental state of his barbarian ancestors. Spock manages to drag himself away from Zarabeth and returns with McCoy to the library by following Kirk's voice. With everyone back, Mr. Ataz puts in a disc and rushes to join his family before it's too late. Kirk, Spock, and McCoy then return to the Enterprise just as it warps out as the star supernovas. Fun fact. The screenwriter for this episode, Jean Lassette Areste, was a UCLA librarian at the time she wrote the script. Her word choice for the name of the librarian, Mr. Ataz, is a wordplay, a librarian named A to Z. The name for the character was selected to suggest how one might search a library, i.e. from A to Z. So this is my tribute to all the librarians out there, all the books they have given us, and how they've made this world a better place. And a special thanks to Andrew Carnegie, who funded the Carnegie Library in my hometown of Bryan, Texas. So we had some interesting continuity issues in this episode. According to the start date, this episode is chronologically the last of the series, even though its production number and air date are earlier than Turnabout uh, Intruder. It's also the last episode of Time Travel in TOS. This is the only episode of Star Trek, the original series, or indeed any series, to ever mention a physiological limitation on time travel. According to Mr. Ataz, one has to under one had to undergo what he termed preparation for the era which they would travel to. Failure to do so would result in death in a few hours. Additionally, one could not return to the present era for the same reason, as in uh, the reason Zarabeth could not accompany Spock and McCoy back to the present time. It is not known whether this was a result of how the Avatatron worked or uh, the planet's atmosphere or something unique to its inhabitants. Additionally, this is the only Star Trek story which ever mentions mental changes to travelers traveling to the past. Spock found himself reverting to the savage nature of Vulcans of that time period. Curiously, however, 
McCoy did not find himself reverting to the relative savagery or intelligence of humans from 5,000 years ago. This could be interpreted to mean that humans have changed little in 5,000 years, technology notwithstanding. Or it could reflect Spock's telepathy. We have seen how, he, how linked he is to the Vulcan people, for instance, when the Intrepid was destroyed. In TAS, the animated series, in the Counterclock incident, it briefly references the fact of the Enterprise's presence near Betaniobi when the supernova began its explosion. What are the compliance takeaways from this one? Well, uh, the specific targeting by Mr. Ataz of uh, preparing people and then sending them to a designated time made me really think about your compliance training, particularly in terms of targeted training. So are you um, engaging in targeting training, meaning uh, are you giving training not only to high-risk employees, but are you giving them the training they need? So for instance, are you training them on, uh, if they're going overseas, uh, some of the areas that they may uh, be asked to uh, pay a bribe or extorted from? Have you given them specific uh training around how to resist a bribe? Have you given them uh, now with the uh, antitrust divisions uh, evaluation of corporate compliance programs for antitrust out? Have If you're sending uh, employees to trade shows, have you given them specific training around antitrust compliance? So is you, are you giving them targeted training? What about effectiveness of your training? Is your training effective? Um, how do you know it's effective? Are you testing your employees? Are you simply testing them to see if they can get 80% uh, within the first 10 minutes after uh, taking the training? Or are you testing them out really uh, three, six, and nine months out? How are you determining if your training is effective? And finally, what's your training governance protocol? Uh, this uh, was a concept presented to us, or to me rather, by Sean Rogers, head of training, uh, compliance training at General Motors, around governance of your training. Is there any one group who has oversight and visibility into all of your corporate training to make sure that it's consistent, there's no overlap, and there's no uh, gaps, holes, or even useless training? So I hope you'll join us tomorrow when we take up the final episode of the original series, Turnabout Intruder. If you enjoyed this episode of Trekking Through Compliance, you can help it grow by sharing it with the biggest Trek fan you know. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.